Church. Um, for those of you who are uh, visiting today, um, we're at the part in our service where we uh, kick off a, a series that we're doing over the summer, uh, essentially a Bible class that we're doing from the New Testament on um, to the very end of the Bible. Um, so we are, we've been reading um, the training, uh, book Training for Service. Um, if you do not have one, um, don't worry about it. We'll through it in detail, um, but it is recommended that you uh, follow along because uh, just about everything here will be going through the curriculum here. And uh, as you guys know, as the, the screen is about to show, um, there is a, a pop quiz every day. Uh, every day, sorry. Um, so we're going to kick, we're going to start right up with the pop quiz, uh, if we can get the screen up. Um, for those of you who were here last week, um, this should be hopefully easy. For those of you enjoying your fun on the singles uh, park service, I apologize, but I guess you guys um, followed along. So we're going to kick it off. Um, who can tell me what the three types of messianic prophecies were in the Bible? Oh, right in the front. Sorry, say that again. Obscure is one. Yep. Uh, someone else shot it, went out. Types is another. And there was one third one. Yes, the plain statements, my personal favorite. Just plain old, here's what's going to happen. Awesome. What was the first prophecy about Jesus? Or where was the first prophecy about Jesus found? In what book? Genesis, perfect. And the last one? Malachi, yeah, I think a few people said Leviticus, but no. Uh, Malachi was the last one um, where they talked about the son of righteousness. So we're going to move forward um, and go into the next piece of, or the next lesson, if I can get the clicker working. Helps if you turn it on. There we go. Um, so we're going to go into our uh, next part of the lesson here, and we're going to go through the life of Christ. So because Jesus' life was so expansive and just... All the things he's done cannot really be covered in one lesson. We're going to be breaking this up into many different lessons over the next few weeks. So we're going to just go through a piece of what um, Jesus has done here, and then we're going to continue on for the next few weeks. But starting on, we're going to go through and break down what the timeline looked like for Jesus um, and through the whole New Testament. So the New Testament begins with the earthly life of Jesus, just what Jesus did while he was physically present on earth. That starts from around um, 6 B.C. all the way to 30 A.D. And I'm going to explain why 6 B.C. in a minute. Um, the next section is the actual beginnings of the church. right? So the church's beginning started around 30 A.D. out to around 45 A.D. And then the Bible ends um, with the uh, expansion of the church um, and the apostolic church with the first apostles spreading the church all throughout the Mediterranean, and that goes up to around 100 A.D., um, to essentially the death of the last surviving disciple, and that's John. So here we're going to cover um, just the earthly life of Christ, and we're going to go, go through that in a few sections. So the earthly life of Christ is broken up into seven different sections. First, the 30 years of Jesus' youth, then the first year of his ministry, then the second year of his ministry, which is called the period of popularity, because the first year of Jesus' um, ministry, not too many people knew that he was around. Remember, word doesn't travel as fast in uh, areas like Judea 
because there's no internet. So it, everything traveled through word of mouth. So the first year, not too many people knew who he was. By the second year, there was a lot of word because there was a guy raising the dead, healing people, healing the sick. By that second year, he became a lot more popular among the people. Third is the second year is um, popularity. And then in the third year, that's when the oppression started coming. Um, that's when the opposition started coming from the Pharisees. That's when you read it, people started getting those challenges from him and people started reacting. Um, then we go into his last three months, which is kind of that real persecution that he was suffering. That's when the, the betrayal started to begin. And then we go into that last week, which is uh, often referred to as the Passion. And then his uh, last 40 days. I'm sorry, the 40 days of his resurrection, where after, after he had resurrected, people saw him for about 40 days. So that's a common misconception that like he was there for like a day or two. He was actually around and back on earth for about 40 days. We'll go into that in more detail. For the next, for this lesson, we're just going to be covering the first two, um, just because for us to cover all eight, we'd be here forever. So we're going we're gonna to do it in small pieces, and we're going to cover the first 30 years of his youth and the first year of his ministry. Uh, so going into that, the first 30 years of Jesus' life um, are broken up into five subsections. First is birth, the flight to Egypt, the return from Egypt, his baptism, and the temptation. And we're going to go into that in a little bit more detail. Now, I think two weeks ago we went over just the map of, Gal of, of Pakistan, um, the, the map of the Middle East during the time of Jesus and all the places he went and preached. Well, in the beginning, Jesus' life took a fairly weird turn. So, as many of you guys know, Jesus was born in Nazareth, sorry, in Bethlehem, um, and from Bethlehem, as it was predicted, he had to go to Egypt. Now, the reason being, when Jesus was coming, as we had spoken about last week, there were prophecies about him, right? The, most of the Old Testament had prophecies about this upcoming king. Well, the issue is at that same time, there was a sitting king, Herod. So King Herod knew, well, found out from the Magi and a bunch of other people that a new king had been born and that king was born in Bethlehem. So if you're a ruling king and you hear that there's another king, now most of you guys know what happens to the existing king if there's a new king coming in, right? Normal course of action is that existing king dies, right? That's what happened to Saul. Saul had to die for David to become king. So King Herod thinking, well, if this guy wants to be king, there's only one of us that can still be king at the same time. So he ordered that the children in Bethlehem be killed. So in order to avoid that death, thankfully the angels went and reached out to Joseph and they, they actually escaped out into Egypt. So they spent time in Egypt um, to avoid Herod. And when that first Herod died, they were able to return back and actually go back to their original hometown of Nazareth and raise Jesus there. Now, from there, very little is known about Jesus' adolescence. Not a lot is written about what he did between the ages of like one or two and the age of 30. But there is one key thing that we do know about Jesus, and I want to go into that in a bit more detail right now. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And here we're picking up when Jesus is right about 12 years old. Um, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 40 to 52. And you can turn there, and if you don't have a Bible, we can, we can follow along on the screen. Um, 
starting with verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him. Among their relatives and friends, um, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was in, amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I had been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be at my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth. Sorry, go back. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and in man. Now, although we don't know a lot about Jesus' life as he was growing up, there is one thing that is absolutely clear. Jesus knew his Bible, and he did not wait to be an adult to learn it. So, talking for a minute for, to the teens and the preteens in the room and the, the children's ministry kids, guys, at 12 years old, Jesus knew enough Bible to talk to the Bible scholars and the Pharisees whose job it was to read the Bible. And he was giving answers that were better than theirs. So listen, guys, do not think that you can't learn your Bible at an early age. Do not think that just because you're young, you can't be respected for your Bible knowledge. Guys, you have just as much ability to learn and be righteous as anyone else in this room or anyone anywhere else. All right? So that's my plug for the team ministry. I'll, I'll move on. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was in his Bible from an early age and he needed to be for what was coming up next in his life. From then on, the next section in Jesus' life involved first his baptism and his temptation. So at this point, Jesus had to be baptized and according to the Bible, it says to fulfill all righteousness. Essentially, to be the example for us, he needs to go through everything that we need to go through to be saved. Not that he had sin to be forgiven, because he had no sin, but he had to be the perfect example for us. So as he went to get baptized, um, and that's uh, a picture of the Jordan River. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly where it was, but it's, that's the same river. Um, but from there, from being baptized in the Jordan River, he then went into a desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So imagine you think you had it rough right after you got baptized. Right after Jesus got baptized, he went and was tempted by Satan himself. And if you look through the book of Matthew, you see what he did to survive time and time again. It wasn't willpower. It wasn't max strength. It was his memory of the scripture and his reliance on God. So guys, it is important to know your Bible inside and out. Because you can't guess your way through righteousness. You can't guess your way through salvation. Right? There is a blueprint. And listen, thank God we have it. Right? Because the people in the Old Testament, as we went through last week, were fighting to get to this point. We're hoping to have what we have now. So, guys, remember that fact. Right? If it took Jesus that much time to prepare for Satan, 
how much more time are we going to need? I said, I know I need it. I need all the Bible I can help just to survive every day, just going to work. But that's the big key to remember throughout Jesus' life. Although we don't have all the details, the biggest thing we know is that he knew his word. And he used it throughout his life. Now, moving on to the next part, the first year of Jesus' ministry, what we realize is the closer we got to his death, the more information we have. So this part alone is broken up into five sections. So we're going to go into those um, fairly quickly so we don't want to take up too much time. But there are a couple of things that we need to break down. Number one was his first miracle. Now, most of us know this, right? Um, his first miracle was in Cana where he turned wine, water to wine because he was visiting a, a relative's uh, wedding. They ran out of wine. They had nothing left but water. And Jesus turned that water to wine. Um, because his mom asked for it. So yeah, he listened to his mom from then on. So let kids, listen to your moms. Um, the very next thing he did, or the next big event in Jesus' life, was the first time he cleared the temple. And actually, this one was news to me, because I didn't realize until now that he actually had to clear the temple twice. So talk about hard-headedness. Like, he literally had to go in, and just so you the, the teens don't um, know the details, so basically, Jesus found people selling money where we were supposed, where the people were supposed to be praying, right? Essentially, people were selling people's stuff so they can use for sacrifices. They turned it essentially into a market instead of a house of prayer. So imagine if someone was on the side, like those DVDs guys, are on the side trying to sell stuff in the middle of service, just to give you a mental picture of what Jesus was seeing. So now we see first that Jesus was compassionate and he cared about people, and then we see Jesus had conviction from the very beginning. Right? Jesus didn't hide when it came to convictions. He didn't care who was around. He didn't change who he was depending on who was there. Right? When he saw sin, he attacked it head on. Now, moving forward, we hear the first time Jesus announces who he is in um, item number three on the list when he meets Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee and a teacher of the law himself. Nicodemus quietly goes to Jesus in the night and starts asking him questions. And this is when we, find, we hear that scripture that most people know, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is when the first time Jesus acknowledged that he's the son, right? This is where he gave the first indication as to who he is. And he did it to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was, listen, when you're a Pharisee back then, you're supposed to know everything, which is why he probably snuck in at night when no one was around to try to ask questions because Back then, they were, they were looked upon, right? There was a whole issue, and you'll see throughout the Bible, there was a bit, little bit of an ego problem with the Pharisees. So it, at, the one thing about Nicodemus, at least he was willing to learn. And this was essentially the first kind of Bible study. So he could say he had his great Bible study with Jesus. So that was a pretty good deal. Um, and then Jesus starts breaking barriers again when he speaks to the Samaritan women. Now... Again, I think two weeks ago we talked about how the Israelites viewed Samaria at the time, right? It was, essentially, it was essentially Middle Eastern racism. That's all you can call it. They were originally Jews that had mingled with other races, and those people didn't associate with them. Worse still, this woman was one who was known for having illicit affairs, right? According to the Bible, according to Jesus, she had had multiple husbands, and the person she was with at that time was not her husband at the time. And most of the time, when you see someone with a person like that, it causes all that stir, right? The gossips start talking. Jesus attacked it directly 
and told her the good news about God. Right? And he evangelized to her, and it was the first time that he declared plainly that he was the Messiah. And that was big because there's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of questions, especially when you talk to people when you're reaching out and people are like, well, Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't the Messiah or the Son of God. Well, it can't be both because that would either mean he's a liar, in which case he's neither a prophet nor the Messiah, or if he's a prophet, that means he's telling the truth, and if he's telling the truth and he says he's the Messiah and the Son of God, then all of it has to be true. It's a binary situation. It's either all true or none of it's true. So people can't say, well, he, I believe he's a prophet, but I don't believe in anything else. Well, then you're saying he's a prophet, but don't believe in anything he says. It's not logical. So, and this is why it's good to know the sequences and what happens when Jesus speaks. And most of these things in that first year, he lays it out pretty plainly. Um, and the last thing he does, and this one convicted me, is what he does to the noble, with the nobleman's son. So, turn with me to John chapter 4. Now, Jesus visited Cana a lot because uh, he had a lot of people there, his family, his relatives, his friends were around there. Um, so we're going to go back to, he goes back there, um, and we're going to read verse uh, 46 to 54. Um, given that I said we're, we're in our Bible, we're going to actually open up our Bibles. Uh, so we're going to go to John chapter 4. And we're going to start from verse 46 to 54. The Bible reads, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there there was a certain man, a certain royal official, whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming to Judea, sorry, coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, I want to put, lay a couple of things out in, in context. First of all, this was the second miracle of Jesus. This is the first time where he actually healed the person. And he didn't just heal him, because a lot of times in the Bible you see him healing. He touches someone, he makes some mud on the ground, right? He says something, he speaks over them, he has them do some act like get up and pick up their mat. Here we see how powerful Jesus is. Just to give you some context, so if you can see the map there, Kana is that second bullet on the left, and Capernaum is that middle bullet right above the Sea of Galilee. That distance right there is over 10 miles. So think about this. Imagine you need to do a miracle. Not just here. You need the miracle to go to Queens. That's the equivalent of what Jesus did. So if you wanted to put a range on how far his miracles can reach, just when he's physically on earth, you'd have to get to like two, three boroughs at least. And this is important because it also shows the faith of the man. He was, think of it, remember, there were no cars here. 
And he might have, we don't know if he owned a chariot. Which means, do you guys remember walking home from the blackout? That's a long walk. So he was at least a day's walk away from where his son was. And when Jesus said, your son is healed, he took him at his word. He didn't question. He didn't ask for an extra sign, a symbol or something to prove it. What if? No, he took him at his word and started walking back home expecting his son to be healed. Imagine the faith it took to do that. Right? And imagine the look of just how his faith got built up when he asked, well, what time did he get healed? One o'clock on the dot. The second Jesus said he would be healed. Right? It's no wonder that later on you see the centurion pretty much said, listen, just say it because it'll be fine. When his servant was like, he had an example. He had already seen what Jesus can do. He knows that Jesus has a range. He was like, I'm within the range. I'm good. <laughs> but it's amazing to watch because think of it this way. If, God, if Jesus could do that when he was a man on earth, imagine what he can do for us now that he's in heaven. Guys, I want you guys to remember and think about this because with God's power, there is no sickness, there is no persecution, there is no challenge, there is no work problem, there is no financial issue, there is no issue, period, that can keep us from God and his salvation. Now that we have Jesus in heaven fighting for us, right? we have all the more reason to be glad. Right? These people had to go find Jesus. People had to stake him out and figure out where he's going to be, strategize to get to him. We just have to pray. I think about how much, like none of us are breaking down roofs to try to lay, bring down a man through a mat to get to Jesus. No, he's right there with us. So guys, as we go through this first year of Jesus, guys, think about what Jesus has done just in his first year. This is with him before he was popular, Right? You know how like when, you're like when you're like, I knew this thing, I, this was cool before it was cool, I was, in, I was in there before it was cool? This is all the stuff that happened before Jesus was known, before he was a household name, before the crowd started following him, right? And before he went on to be in heaven fighting for our salvation, right? Interceding in our prayers. So guys, that same power can be at work in our lives so long as we allow it to be, all right? So with that, we're going to go to the most fun part, which is the homework. <laughs> so we're going to review, and we're going to continue on with the lessons of Jesus. Um, but the one thing we want to review is just the three different sections of the New Testament, because we're going to be going through this um, for the next few weeks, right? So it's the early life of Christ, which we're going to be going through for the next couple of weeks. Then we're going to go through the beginnings of the church, and then the expansion of the um, apostolic church. Um, we're also going to review um, all the issues, but just to remind you, um, those first 30 years were broken up into those five sections, because that will be on the quiz tomorrow. I mean, next week. I keep thinking we're here every day. Um, the birth, the flight to Egypt, the return from Egypt, the baptism, and the temptation. And then when, in his first year, those are broken up into those um, first things in his ministry. The first miracle, his first time clearing the temple, the speaking to Nicodemus, um, meeting the woman in Samaria, and um, healing the nobleman's son. So, guys, um, I think we're going to have some announcements soon, but guys, take to heart what Jesus has done, and just remember that all the things that have happened here, right, and all the places you've seen him go, right, the one place he wants to be is in our hearts, all right? And with that, let's pray real quick before we go to the next part of our service. 
Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for your word, Father. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for Jesus being willing to, to intercede for us, us in our lives, Father. Thank you for Jesus giving us the example to follow, Father. Thank you for Jesus just guiding us in our hearts, Father. Thank you for allowing us to be living at a time where we can benefit from his salvation, Father. I pray that you just help us to take this to heart, Father, and learn to be more like you, Father, and just... Get, dig deeper into your word to learn more about you, Father. I pray that we, we pant for just learning more about you, Father, and wanting to follow you because you care so much about us. Father, I pray for the rest of the service. Um, let everything be glor- let just every- let everything glorify you, Father. I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen.